Welcome to the True North Podcast. This podcast is about navigating through today's culture in the direction that lands at the heart of God. Let's go! Good morning, good morning. How's everybody feeling this morning? There we go. You can ask you can ask everybody that lives with us. I woke up excited. I woke up excited. Kellen woke me up first. Went to bed. Oh, I was turned up. I was turned up. You know why I was turned up? Because of what today symbolizes. Does anybody know what today is? Today is Resurrection Sunday. Right. See, you, you can't say that without a smile. You can't be like, it's resurrection. As soon as you say it, the way the way the R's, God did this on purpose, the way the syllables flow out when you say it, naturally you go red, you got to see instantly. So you can't say it without a smile. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Look at somebody near you and say, happy Resurrection Day. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. If you don't, it's all good. Like we did last week with Palm Sunday, if you wasn't here for Palm Sunday, I encourage you to go back and listen to the message on the podcast plug. The only reason I said that is not because I like to plug the podcast, but because last week, you know, we had the big epiphany. If you allowed the Lord to do it, we had the epiphany of, you know, Palm Sunday. What that really represents is it poses a question to us. Is your worship for real? Amen. Is your allegiance to the boss? Y'all remember that? The boss. That's what we should have told it last week. You know, who the boss be? Is your allegiance to the boss for real? Or is it, you know, one of those? Is, it, is, is your allegiance to God true or is it like the allegiance you have to your boss at work? You know, when you clock in, you're like, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. No, sir, no, ma'am. But when you clock out, they're calling you. Oh, I, my, my phone was off. Sorry. I didn't hear you. A couple of weeks ago when uh, I got to, got the blessing to take off for the boys' uh, first games and the jamboree and all that, I was, you know, I was low-key in the back of my head. I was like, Lord, don't let them, don't let them call. Lord, don't, don't let somebody be like, oh, somebody couldn't come, and now you got to run around. So low-key, I was like, let me just slip this thing in airplane mode real quick, you know, just, you know. Hey, Lindsay, we track. Oh, man, it, it didn't come through, what, you know. Is our allegiance to God like that where we're putting him on pause in order to live our lives? That's what we talked about last week. That's what we talked about last week. So I encourage you to, to definitely check that out. Amen. But if you have a Bible, we're going to be Luke chapter 22. But like I said, just like last week, we painted, we took several scriptures to paint a mosaic picture of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be doing today. But in Luke chapter 22, verse 14 and 15, Luke says this, when Jesus arrived at the upper room, he took his place at the table along with all the apostles. Then he told them, I have longed with passion and desire to eat this Passover lamb with you before I endure my suffering. So two things I want to point out just real quickly before we move on. But notice how it says that they arrived in the upper room. Somebody say upper room. So isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the same place that they took the Passover feast? The same place that they did the Last Supper just so happens to be the same place that they received the third person of the Trinity. Some nerd notes for you. Luke didn't just put that in there just to be put. No, it says they arrived in the upper room. In the upper room. So, that, you know, if, you, if you're a nerd like me, I, I find that very interesting. Second thing I want to point out is Jesus said, I have longed with passion and desire to eat this Passover lamb with you. So by Jesus saying, I have longed to partake of this meal with you. 
By him saying that, literally, he is, he is inviting everybody from all walks of life, from all areas of time, to come to his table. And that invitation still extends today. That is his desire, for you to come to his table, for you to come to his table and eat. David said, oh, taste and see that the what, Lord is good. David didn't say, hey, hey, come try it. At the house, I love to be the buffer. I love to be the buffer. I love to, I love, I want to, you know, hey, does it taste, here, let me, let me check. Let me, let me, I'll tell you if it tastes good or not. And I've gotten better in the past. So I used to be like, nah, man, that's trash. Like, it's better. Now, now I try to do my best. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's got potential. You know, we're working, we're walking, we're on the street. We're going down the road. All right, let's, let's, uh, let's stop in Sugarville right here. Let's, let's stop in Salt and Pepperville. Let's stop in Garlic Town, you know, like all the, you know. But I loved it because literally Jesus desires for us to come to his table. Somebody say me. me. So that's very important. So just to, just to save time, but after the Last Supper, so some things that have happened, you've probably heard this story before, but if you haven't, I'm just going to run through it. But some things that happened after the Last Supper, Judas leaves the group to go meet with the mob. He goes, he leaves the table to go meet with the mob. Peter is warned about his three accounts of publicly denying Jesus. Jesus receives company from an angel when he enters into the garden. He receives company from an angel when he enters into the garden. Jesus prayed while he was in the garden. He prayed in such a way of intense agony that his sweat turned into blood. His sweat turned into blood. You know, this seems like a foreign concept, but it's actually not where the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands break down, therefore the blood vessels mix with sweat. Now this is caused by mental anguish and high anxiety. Has anybody ever had a high anxiety moment before? Anybody had one of those moments where you just, you don't feel like you cannot get above water? Well, guess what? This is the way Jesus is feeling in the garden. Times 10, because the last time I checked, none of us knew that we was going to have to go to a cross. Amen. None of us knew he was going to have to go to the cross. Jesus, and obviously later on after this moment, Jesus found his disciples asleep and he slightly, I love Jesus, he slightly, he slightly gets a little tits, he slightly gets a little annoyed, he slightly goes off on them. He says, hey, couldn't you stay awake for a little while longer? Now, I encourage you to go back and look at this because the reason he was upset was because his heart was broken because he actually asked them to pray for strength that they wouldn't abandon him. Now, why is this so important? Because at the Last Supper, he told them, I desire to be with you. So no, no, no wonder why he gets upset is because he's like, hey, I desire to be with you. Hey, pray that you stay strong and stay, and, and stay with me because I'm praying that I, I can stay and be with you. Pray that you can stay and be with me. Lindsay, God, God, God didn't pray that. I encourage you, check out John chapter 17. Look at the prayer that he prayed before he went to the cross. I'll be honest, if I'm sitting in jail on death row, and they're like, all right, you know, it's my final day, about that time. The last thing I'm going to be praying is, Lord, bless the church. Lord, let the church grow in you. You know, I'll be honest, you know, Lindsay's going to be saying, Mama, oh, God, Jesus, where are you at? Lord, it's about time. Oh, come on, Jesus. I mean, I know you ain't, I know you ain't a late God, but, you know, you know we're getting pretty close, Jesus. <laughs> Whenever you want to break those chains of shackles, I'm, I'm right here, I'm ready. Like, hey, let me sweep, let me sweep, move some dust for you. All right, let's go. But Jesus isn't praying for himself. He is praying for us. In John chapter 17, it says that he is praying that we become one with the Father as he is one with the Father. 
That sounds like somebody that has a heart that desires to be with the person you see in the mirror. Mm. Oh, we, we there. We there. Look at somebody beside you and say, nowhere but up. So I should have said that, but that's what we're talking about today. Nowhere to go but up. So let me give you some more Cliff's notes. G, uh, Judas shows up and betrays Jesus in the garden. And I love this. We won't go into it. I encourage you again, check out John chapter 18. But, but right before they cuffed him, they said, they, uh, Jesus comes up to him and says, who do you seek? This is a a boss move. You remember how we said last week, tell me you're a boss. Tell me you're the king without telling me you're the king. And, you know, the Pharisees said, well, why don't you quiet your disciples? And Jesus said, if if, if they get quiet, the rots are going to cry out because I'm God. And then we said last week, tell me you're the boss without telling me you're the boss. Literally in this story, when Jesus is in the garden, the the mob comes up. And I don't know if y'all knew this, but it was up to 600 soldiers. Tell me you're the boss. Without telling you the boss, they don't need 600 soldiers to, to detain me. But let's be honest, 600 soldiers can't detain God. But I love this because literally it says, Jesus says, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And listen, I'm not making this up. This ain't in the Lindsay Mellon translation. This is the way it's written. Literally, he says, I am. And the next verse, verse 6 says, they fall over. Do you know why they fall over? Because let me, let me, let me help you out with it. Because he's the boss. See, in the Old Testament, the way they identify God was the great I am. And also John calls Jesus the word of God. So now you have the word calling himself the word as he's speaking words. See, Jesus was all about double and triple entendres before hip hop. And I love this because he literally says, I am. And as he says, I am as God declares that he is God. It is such a powerful moment that they can't stand on their feet. And they get back up, and the Bible says that they get back up. And Jesus again, and they say, I couldn't have been Jesus, because it literally says that he again says, who do you seek? And if it was me, I would have been like, I am. Watch it fall over again. Start it all over, run it back. Who do you seek? I am. Let's run it back. But he did. He just did it twice. Didn't let him fall over. I would, I would have had fun with it. We're going to have, I mean, if I got to go to the ground, we're going to take our time with it. I am. I am. I am. That's sometimes I won't do that to people. I am. Y'all judge me, but I know you want to. Sometimes you get around somebody like Jesus. I'm gonna move right here if you want to just throw that lightning. Go ahead, get them real quick. But I love this because literally in John chapter 18, verse five and six, it literally says that he says, "I am," and they fall over. And after they do that, after all that happens, while the mob is trying to arrest Jesus, Peter cuts off one of the ears of the soldiers. And Jesus stops him and says, hey, this, no, this is not how it's going to go down. And all of a sudden, Jesus just puts his hand on the soldier's ear and restores it while the other piece of the ear is still laying on the ground. Proving once again that Jesus is God. You know, as, as this happens, Jesus is taken away. Later on, Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus was brought before the religious leaders and council, and they brought false witnesses and false charges against him. False witnesses. They presented false, literally the scripture says that they brought up, they, they went and, and gathered up false witnesses. You ever had somebody lie on you before? You ever had somebody present a false case before? Literally every, every moment of Jesus' life, there's a moment that you and I can relate to. Literally, they, they, bring, up false, they bring up false charges against him. They bring up, uh, they bring up all these different accusations, and they, they sentence him 
to go to Rome to die. And, you know, as they're doing this, uh, you know, as they're literally doing this, you know, understand this, the, the Jews, they didn't have any jurisdiction in their own hometown because they were still under Roman oppression. So therefore, they didn't have the legal jurisdiction to kill Jesus. They had to take him to Rome and hope that Rome would convince him. And before they took him to Rome, the Bible says that literally, literally they began to beat him. Now, this is before he got to Pilate. He's going to get a beating once he got to Pilate, once he got to the capital. But literally, as he's standing before his flesh and blood, as he's standing before his peers, as he's standing before the people he grew up with, as he's standing before the people that literally would stand in the tabernacle and read the Torah and proclaim God's word, as he's standing with Christians, supposed to be, am I talking to somebody this morning? As he's standing among them, they are beginning to beat him. Can I, can I give a description? There's one, there's one scripture that literally says that they, one, they would cold clock him. They would blindfold him and cold clock him. You know what a cold clock is? When you get so hard by, by an outside source where you don't even notice and know what's going on. And the scripture says that they would cold clock him and then say, if you're a prophet, tell us which one hit you. And after, after they are satisfied with this beating that they give him, the Bible says they, they take him to Pilate. They take him to Pilate. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 15 through 31, literally as they take him to Pilate, you know, understand this, that they couldn't sentence him to death. But Pilate interrogated Jesus and he found him to be innocent. And because he found him to be innocent, he decided to do two things. He decided to flog Jesus and then release him. But everybody was like, no, 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 uh, uh, there's a tradition that we have. And the tradition that they had was every time at Passover, there would be one prisoner released. And in Matthew chapter 27, verse 15 through 31, it says this. Now, every year at Passover, it was the custom of the governor to pardon a prisoner and release him to the people anyone they wanted. Verse 16, and at that time, Pilate was holding in custody a notorious criminal named Jesus Barabbas. So as the crowds of people assembled outside of Pilate's residence, he went out and offered them a choice. He asked them, who would you want to release today? Jesus, who is called Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called the anointed one? Now, Pilate, look at this, Pilate was fully aware that the religious leaders had handed Jesus over to him because of their bitter jealousy. So Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He knew it, church. And watch this, verse 19. Just then, as Pilate was presiding over the tribunal, his wife sent him an urgent message. Don't harm this holy man, for I've suffered a horrible nightmare last night about him. Verse 20. Meanwhile, the chief priests and the religious leaders were inciting the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be freed and to have Jesus killed. So Pilate asked them again, which of the two men would you like me to release for you? They shouted, Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. In verse 22, Pilate asked him, then what would you have me to do with Jesus, who is called the anointed one? And they all shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate asked. What has he done wrong? So Pilate knew he hadn't done anything wrong. But they kept shouting out, crucify him. In verse 24, when Pilate realized that a riot was about to break out and it was useless to try to reason with the crowd, he sent for a basin of water. After washing his hands in front of the people, he said, I am innocent of the blood of this righteous man. The responsibility for his death is now yours. Verse 25, and the crowd replied, let his blood be on us and our children. Growing up, we was always taught that God sacrificed his son. God, God murdered his son. And I'll be honest, according to the gospel, that's not the case. The father didn't kill Jesus. 
man killed Jesus. They literally say, let his blood be on us and our sons. In order to, in order to make that type of proclamation, they, there has to be a, 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 a big ounce of pride mixed in the heart. Pilate literally said, hey, he's innocent. I, you know what? I'm washing my hands. His fate is on you. And they're like, yeah, we'll take it. Let, let his blood be on us and our children. Church, God didn't kill Jesus. God didn't crucify Jesus. It wasn't a shock that he was going to be crucified. Trust me, the Father, Son, and Spirit knew it was going to happen, but God didn't do it. Man did it. Man did it. It's like we said last Sunday, but the same ones who were shouting Hosanna were the same ones willingly requesting that his life be put to death. I posted it this past Friday, but Good Friday is purely of human origin. It's purely of human origin. Good Friday, the cross, the torture, the beatings. God wasn't like, you know what? I'm going to beat my son so everybody can live. Nope. God was like, I'm going to surrender myself to the fallen humanity in their place. He surrendered himself, and we, we did the rest. We did the rest. Somebody said nowhere but up. Verse 26, thanks, Kellen. Watch this. So he released Barabbas to the people. He ordered that Jesus be beaten with the whip of leather straps embedded with metal and afterward be crucified. Then the guards took him into the military compound where a detachment of nearly 600 soldiers surround him. They stripped off his cloth and placed a scarlet robe on him to make fun of him. Then they braided a crown of thorns and forcefully shoved it onto his head. And after placing a reed staff in his right hand, they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat in his face and took the reed staff from his hand and hit him repeatedly on his head, driving the crown of thorns deeper. Can I, I'm going to explain the flogging of Jesus. I'm going to try to do my best without crying. God told Kelsey the other day, I said, for the last two weeks, me re- and I've heard the gospel before. I've heard the story. I've read the story. We've probably heard that. You've probably heard it. You've probably read it before. Well, for some reason, the last two weeks, every time I've read it, just I couldn't get through it without just weeping, without just weeping. And understand this, when Pilate ordered Jesus to be flogged as a, as a, as a Roman tradition or as a Roman you know, law, literally what it meant was that the, that the accused will say Jesus, that Jesus literally stood naked and the flogging covered the area from the shoulders down to the upper legs. So literally he stood at a post naked. Let that marinate for a minute. The son of God, the king of kings, Lord of lords, the same ones that did all these miracles. He stands before 600 soldiers. Somebody say 600. 600 soldiers naked. That means that Jesus was exposed in areas that you and I would never let anybody see nor touch. It's heavy. He literally stood before them naked, and literally the, the whip that they used, the whip that they used, it consisted of several strips of leather, and in the middle of the strips of leather were metal balls, were metal balls that hit the skin, causing deep bruising. In addition to these metal balls, there were literally sheep bone, sheep bone, bones from sheep attached to it. And as, it, as, as the whip would con- make contact with the skin, that, that bone would grip and pull flesh. Every time. And watch this. If the flesh is already exposed, so therefore every time the whip goes in, it's going deeper and pulling out deeper tissue, deeper blood as it's coming out. 
It's not hidden his garments. It's hidden him because he is exposed. Exposed. He chose this. He chose this for me. Say, I I can't speak for you because I don't know what your life is like. But I know for me, because Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that for the joy of you, he endured the cross. I know that's hard to say because last time, I che- last time I checked, none of us are willingly being like, you know what, I'm just going to let somebody beat me up. Last time, you know, when it, last time I talked to somebody, you know, I wasn't like, hey, you know, they're like, hey, how was your weekend? Man, I just let life beat me up and I enjoyed it. Nobody says that. Nobody says, man, I had so much joy in the pit of misery. When's the last time somebody said that? We haven't. But literally as they're doing this, as literally they're doing this, therefore when the bone, like I said, makes contact with his skin, it digs into his muscles, tearing out chunks of flesh and exposing the bone beneath. Exposing the bone beneath. Now listen to this, the flogging, it leaves the skin on Jesus' back and long ribbons. And by this point, he's lost a great volume of blood, which causes his blood pressure to fall. Has anybody ever struggled with blood pressure before? Shogger, Jesus has too. And he took that to the cross. He took that issue to the cross. All of because it says his blood pressure will fall and puts and it literally puts him into shock. His human body attempts to remedy imbalances such as decreased blood volume. So as Jesus is thirst, his body's natural response to his suffering. Roman soldiers literally, like Kelsey said earlier, they placed a crown of thorns on his head. Now he's already beaten. He's already bruised. He's already bleeding. So as those crown of thorns are pressed upon his head, that crown, it's going deeper into the tissue. Deeper into the into the muscles, deeper into the cranium, deep, deep, as it's just driving. And even there's some parts where it's it's literally just clawed up. And as they take the staff, they beat him even more. In verse 31, it says, when they finished ridiculing him, they took off the scarlet robe and put his clothes back on him and led him away to be crucified. Verse 32, and he was so weak after his flogging that the soldiers made an African African man carry his cross through the streets. Watch this in Luke 23, 33 and 34 says this. When they came to the place that is known as the skull, the guards crucified Jesus, nailing him on the center cross between two criminals. While they were nailing Jesus to the cross, he prayed over and over. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they've done. They know they don't know what they're doing. The soldiers, after they crucified him, gambled over his clothing. The original text, we've talked about this before, how the New Testament was written in Greek and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The original text says that as literally after every blow, now I, I wanted to and I totally forgot, I just got busy with life, but literally the, the nails that were in his wrist and in his feet, you know how long them jokers were? Seven to nine inches. Seven to nine inches. And the original text says that as with every strike of the hammer to the nail, he would say, Father, forgive them. See, when we read it, we think they nailed him, and then he's like, Father, forgive them. No, 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 no. With every blow, with every pound, so, pow, Father, forgive them. Again, Father, forgive them. And the original text, it doesn't say, it doesn't say that he says it like you and I say when we see somebody that's struggling. Well, Lord, help them get on the road. Lord, bless them. No, he's, the, the original text says that he prayed intensely. You know when you're sick and in your pain and you, you're praying intensely, he prayed like that, Father, forgive them. Hey, I'll be honest. If you're driving seven to nine inch nails, I mean, the last thing I'm saying is, Father, forgive you. 
not just me, but a lot. I'm, I'm pretty sure if somebody drops seven to nine inch nails in you, the last thing you're going to be saying is, Father, forgive. You should be saying it. But guess what? In our weakest state, we probably aren't able to say it. But God was. And he says, Father, forgive them. I told Kelsey's mom last night, I said, we're all going to be surprised when we get to heaven. And we walk around and we see some of the soldiers that beat him. Some of the soldiers that exposed him. Some of the soldiers that whipped him. Lindsay, how? how no, they, they crucified him. But he forgave them. <sighs> he forgave them. And we know that there was at least one centurion that came to repentance because literally after Jesus died, the Bible says that the centurion looked up at the cross and said, surely, man, he was the son of God. So that means that there was a revelation on the inside of him. So we're all going to be surprised when we get to heaven to see those that crucified Jesus in heaven, which means there's hope for you. Look at somebody beside you and say, there's hope for you. <clears throat> but literally, like I said, after every pound and blow that he would literally say, Father, forgive them. With every pound and blow of the hammer striking the nails into his quivering palm, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. As the soldiers gambled over his clothes, he still said, Father, forgive them. Are you mirroring that same type of intense prayer and love to people? When people cuss you out, are you still asking the Lord to forgive them? When people talk about you, are you still ask the Lord to forgive them? When people do you, don't, do you wrong, when people do you dirt, are you still asking God to forgive them? Are you, are you playing it? Are you plotting? I'm going to get you back. You know, for us that are real saved, when something happens, you know, you, you get around a real saved person that, you know, like, whoosh, you done met me two years ago. Or whoosh, my heart's saved, but my hands ain't. I stay ready. You know, you get around those season saints, we got those clauses, those little frames, like, whoo. But instead of that, are we, when, when, when moments of calamity happen, when moments of offense happen, even if you don't deserve it, are we, are we mirroring the same type of intense prayer that Jesus had? I mean, because let's be honest, if anybody's got a right to be upset, it's him. He created them. He spoke them into existence. The wood that he's laying on, he created. Hebrews chapter 1 literally says that the wood, he holds the wood together. He's on the, he has every right to be mad. And if he's not, then why are we petty? Man, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. Why do we get petty over the things that we get petty over? Why do we, why do we plot our, 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 our trips and destinations of revenge and pettiness and, and oh, I'm going to get you back. Don't worry. Or, you know what? God going to get them. I've been guilty of being like, you know, all right, it's cool. I'm going to be nice because God's going to pour the heaping hot coals on their head. I'm going to be nice to them. And as I'm being nice, I'm, I'm just imagining them, them heaping hot coals. And we all laugh and we've been around the house and we laughed about it. But Jesus wasn't imagining that. When he was saying, Father, forgive them, he was imagining them being one with him like he always desired. And Luke 23, verse 39 through 43, literally says, one of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, what kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself and save us from this death. The criminal hanging on the cross rebuked the man, saying, don't you fear, God, you're about to die. We deserve to be condemned. We deserve to be condemned. We're just being repaid for what we've done. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And I love verse 42. Then he said, I beg of you, Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. Jesus responded, I promise you this very day, this very day, you will enter into paradise with me. 
and I was telling Kelsey and mom last night, I get, I, get, I get so much excitement over this. Two things happen with this verse for me. I get excited, and then I get, I get upset. Now, I get excited because I, I heard this British pastor say, you know, imagine that man on the cross. Let, let's just use our imagination this morning. Imagine that man on the cross that Jesus said, from this day, you'll be in the paradise. Imagine when he dies, he goes up to heaven, he gets to the gates, he knocks on them. And whoever's standing at the gates, you know, this isn't totally biblical, so just go with me, okay? But he gets, he knocks on them, the person standing at the gate, hey, what, what, what are you, hey, uh, flipping through the pages, hey, hey, yo. hey, who, who are you? And he tells him his name, uh, I, I, I don't see you, what are you doing here? The man on the cross said I could come. And I told them last night, I said, that means that everything up to that point at the cross doesn't count anymore. Doesn't matter anymore. What he knows now is the man at the cross said I can come. And you know what the guys at the gates got to do? Come on in. He, I wish, and the reason I get upset is because I wish us as Christians and I wish churches represented and preached that type of Jesus. Because Jesus, when, when he said, hey, Lord, uh, can, just forgive me. And he's like, just this day forward, you can be in paradise with me. He didn't say, hey, you know what? You got to get down and you got to change your clothes, bro. You, you're too exposed. You got to clean yourself up. Hey, you are cussing too much. You got to fix that language. Hey, you, you don't even know who you truly love. You got to fix that. Hey, you've been sleeping around. Hey, you've been cursing. Hey, you've been drinking. Hey, you've been smoking. Hey, you've been shacking up. Hey, you've been doing all these. Once you get that clean, then you can come into paradise. No. Jesus said, from this day forward. You know why? Because that man looked at Jesus and saw him as the son of God and saw him as the source of all things and realized, hey, will you just forgive me? After everything I've done, will you just forgive me? Because I know that you have the power to forgive me of all my wrongdoings. And Jesus said, because you recognize me as the son of God on this cross dying for you from this day forward, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been or how you got there, you will be in paradise with me. I want that type of Jesus. That's the type of Jesus you got to represent. Not the Jesus that looks good in a traditional suit, but the Jesus that says, the person at the cross said I can come. Better yet, the person at the cross said I was good enough. That's what that really meant. person at the cross said I was good enough. Let me tell you something, church. The person at the cross said you're good enough. I don't care what they said about you in school. I don't care what your boss says. I don't care what your bank account looks like. The person at the cross says you are good enough. You know why I know he said that? Because he stayed on the cross for you. He stayed on the cross for you, amen? Somebody said nowhere else to go but up. Thank you, Kel. At midday, Jesus surrenders his spirit and dies, proving that you can't kill a God. But as he dies, the ground shakes and the veil, literally the veil that is the symbol of separation between man and God, the Bible says that it splits in two as he dies. But if you really look at it, it splits in two right before he dies. Imagine this movie where the, the veil splits and then Jesus says, it is finished. Oh, that's going to play into something real a little bit later. But literally, they bury Jesus into a borrowed tomb. Now, I know I'm skipping over some details. I encourage you to go study it. But I love this part that they bury Jesus into a borrowed tomb. A borrowed tomb? What makes something borrowed? Something, what makes something borrowed is the fact that when you use it, you had the intent of returning it. Jesus is the only one. Only person. See, y'all know where I'm going. Jesus is the only person using a borrowed tomb. See, they didn't know it was a borrowed tomb. 
But he knew it was a borrowed tomb. The Father knew it was going to be a borrowed tomb. The Son of God knew it was borrowed. The Spirit, oh, Jesus, a borrowed tomb, which meant that, hey, I'm, I'm just renting this space. I'm just, I'm just I'm, I ain't going to be here for long. I got work to do, and I said it last night, and I loved it because we're literally sitting. We're not doing anything spiritual last night. We're eating, I think, uh, yeah, eating Lost Patellas, watching Wheel of Fortune, the most unspiritual thing you could do. I had to read up, reheat my food. We ain't going to get into that because, you know, bless their hearts. They trying. But we're doing the most unspiritual thing you could do, watching Wheel of Fortune. We watch Wheel of Fortune. Mom likes Wheel of Fortune. The Kellen loves to read. Keenan loves to guess. And Cohen just likes to make noise. So it, just, it works. It works. And, you know, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm just sitting there I'm eating, and I'm realizing that it was Saturday, and I'm like, wow. There's one group of people that was rejoicing that they finally killed Jesus. They finally got rid of him. There's one group of people that was upset. But at the end of the day, it was the Sabbath. Somebody say Sabbath. So the Sabbath day means that it was the day of rest. It was the day of rest. And with that, that means that they couldn't work. They couldn't do all these different things. But, you know, the fact that it was the day of rest, everybody was literally supposed to be at home resting, not partaking of any work. But there was one person that was working. There was one person who was working. He wasn't working above ground. He was working underground. Now, see, in Mark chapter 16, verse 1 through 6, on the first day, somebody say the first day. First day of the week as the Sabbath was ended, Mary Magdalene married the mother of Jacob and uh, made their way to the tomb. It was very early in the morning as the first streets of light were beginning to be seen in the sky. We've talked about that before, but when you see the sunrise, do you see the rays or do you see the sun? I love this because they had purchased aromic embalming spices so they might anoint Jesus' body. And they had been asking one another, who can roll away the heavy stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But when they arrived, they discovered that the very large stone was on the right, dressed in a, or already rolled away. And as they stepped into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right, dressed in a long white robe. The, woman were, the women were starting, or startled and amazed. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I know that you're here looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. Watch this. He has risen. What's that word? Victoriously. Look and see the place where they laid him. Victoriously. Somebody say victoriously. I love this because it didn't say, oh, he, he's not here. He's gone. No, the angel made the point to say, hey, he's not only is he here, but he's risen victoriously. You know what a vit victoriously means? It means that the person has won. If somebody says, hey, when you watch a boxing match, there only comes out one winner, one victor. Meaning one person that has endured all that, and now they get to be crowned the champion. Literally, the angel said he is risen victoriously. He got up as the undefeated, undefeated, undisputed, heavyweight champion of the world. I love saying it. Y'all have heard me say it, but he is the undisputed heavyweight champion. You know, makes the way, uh, winds and, and waves say uh, weight when he says weather weight. He is the undisputed champion of the world. He is the victorious one. He is the almighty. He is the victorious one. He is the one that got up triumphantly. He is the one that, that death could not hold him. He is the one that the cross could not hold him. He is the one, watch this, that seven to nine inch nails could not hold him. He is the one that all the different beatings and bruisings that they gave 
gave him could not keep him in the grave. He is the one that uh, even Judas's betrayal did not hurt him enough to keep him in the grave. He is the one that your sin, he is the one that my sin was not strong enough to keep him in the grave. And watch this, the Bible says that if he got up, you got up. Because guess what? He died in your place. You know what the gospel really is? You know what the gospel really is? Somebody say, Lindsay, what is it? Because y'all are so quiet this morning. Literally, I heard one pastor say, the gospel is this. Imagine that you're getting ready to take a pop quiz. Now, if you were like me in school, oh, my Lord, I hated some pop quizzes. I'm like, teachers, y'all can't do something else. Can we watch a video? I, see, I, I have appreciation for the teachers that let us watch a video. I seen one of them in the gas station the other day. I, I, I about broke my neck. Appreciate you. I, man, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for the influence you had on me in school. You, you made it so much easier. But the, this preacher, he talks about how the gospel literally is getting ready to take a pop quiz. And you know nothing. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks in, tells you to get up, sits down, takes the quiz, and leaves your name at the top. His death on the cross was your death on the cross. His burial in the grave was your burial in the grave. His resurrection was your resurrection. And guess what? When he rose from the grave, everything that he put to death did not rise with him. He was the only one that came out of that grave. Your sins did not come out of that grave. Your insecurities did not come out of the grave. The root, deep cause of your anxiety did not come out of the grave. Your triggers and traumas and dramas did not come out of the grave. He rose above it, amen? amen. He is the victorious one. The grave could not stop him. There's a song we used, you know, we used to sing it growing up. Death could not hold him. He got up. He got up, amen? amen? I love this because literally our sins could not hold him. Our mistakes and our mess-ups and our screw-ups and our one-nighters, our addictions, our lies and our secrets, they could not hold him. The angel literally said that. He's risen victorious. Now, I was, I was joking around with Drea this morning as we're making breakfast and she's cooking and doing all this other stuff and I'm making breakfast with the boys and I'm just, I'm happy. I'm giddy. I'm like, whoo, I ain't having, I ain't had no coffee, so nah, I should tell you something. I'm just giddy, and I'm like, Drea, you know what today is? And she's like, she's trying not to smile, but she can't help it. It's a resurrection Sunday. You gotta smile on resurrection. She's I'm like, you know what today is? And then I say, hey, Drea. And there was an orange on the stove. I said, Drea, imagine when the stone rolled away and I knocked the orange off and let it roll. I said, I said, and if it was up to me, I would have been like, I would have been the angel with the guitar. As soon as that stone rolled away, I'm bound. As the ground shake, standing at, you know, however tall Jesus is, six foot da da da, in the tomb, coming out, smelling like victory. I'm like, I'm going in. But ultimately, it may have not happened like that, but ultimately, he got up in your place. Not only in your place, but he brought you with him. Amen? Amen. I love this because, listen, understand this. When mankind fell for a lie, the reason, we, you know, the reason that we're calling this nowhere else to go but up, because ultimately, everybody loves to on Resurrection Sunday. Everybody loves to talk about how he got up. Yeah, yes, he did. Look at your name and say, he got up. And because I'm different, I'm like, Lord, there's so much more to the story. And there really is. There's not, we don't have enough hours in the day to cover it. I don't have enough pure uh, adrenaline to cover it. Because like I said, no coffee, no bacon this morning. I don't have enough to cover it. But there's one, there's one thing that we've never really talked about. There's one thing that we've never really emphasized on. And that's the Saturday. Somebody say Saturday. Let me close with this. The Saturday, there was something powerful that happened on the Saturday. 
You know, because understand this, when mankind fell for a lie and developed a distorted assumptions about God and believed those lies about God, God found ourselves, or we found ourselves no longer part of our, our, the, our fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. So understand this, as Jesus came as a baby, as Jesus came as a baby, vulnerable to colds, Vulnerable to fevers, vulnerable to rashes, vulnerable to diseases, vulnerable to headaches and injuries, just like us. He then attended schooling, just like us. He then attended schooling, just like us. He then worked with his hands, just like us. He then went all over healing and showing and teaching people what the real heart of the Father looks like. And when that was not enough, he surrendered his life. He surrendered his life to be flogged. He surrendered his life to be wrongfully accused. He surrendered his life to the point of death, the Bible says. But 1 Peter, can I show you something I've never seen before? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19. Watch this. It literally says this. It says, or actually, can you, did I put, yeah, there we go. Christ suffered and died for sins once and for all. Somebody say once and for all. Once and for all. The innocent for the guilty. That's what happened at the cross. The innocence of God traded for our guilt and our shame. To bring you near to God by his body being put to death and by being raised to life by the spirit. Christ literally suffered and died for sins once for all. That's why Friday is such a good Friday. That's why Friday is such a good Friday. Lindsay, why is Friday such a good Friday? Because verse 18 literally said that he died just to bring you close to God. We used to sing the song, just to be close to you. And we've said it before, but that's his desire for you, is to be so close to you. Lindsay, how do you know? Because he literally went to the cross, just so you would be close to him. Not so you can come on a Sunday morning and hear a sermon. No, he got so close. He did all this so he could have that face-to-face relationship with you. John chapter 4, literally, Jesus says that the Father desires people that will worship him. And what that word worship is, is, it's not singing. He's not desiring for you to sing to him day and night, night and day, let worship arise. What he desires is the same. Think of your best friend. How close are you with your best friend? He wants to be closer than that. How close are you with your spouse? He wants to be closer than that. Parents, how close are you with your kids? He wants to be closer than that. He wants that face-to-face closeness. He wants to be the first person that you run to, the first person that you turn to, whether it's good or bad. You know, when it's bad, we got, we got that one person. We know that, all right, pull up my phone. We're going to No, we all know, we all got that one person that, you know, if things go wrong, I got somebody that's going to handle it. Jesus wants to be that person. We all got that one person that when things go good, we call or text that one person that will celebrate with us. Jesus wants to be that person that you celebrate with. Not saying you can't celebrate with friends. Not saying you can't celebrate with friends. He wants to be that. I love this because, watch this in verse 19. This is where it gets good. It says, Jesus went into the spiritual realm and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. Now watch this. There's no prison in heaven. So where did he he go into prison? So Saturday while... The Jews that put him to death while they were celebrating and while his disciples were mourning. But still, at the end of the day, everybody was resting except one person, and that was Jesus. Jesus wasn't resting on Saturday. 
1 Peter 3, 18 and 19, even Ephesians 4, 8 and 9 literally says that he wasn't resting on Saturday. He was literally in the deepest parts, the lowest parts of the earth. See, the reason we call this nowhere to go but up, because the Bible says that if, if he ascended to heaven, in order to go up to heaven, it means that he had to come down from heaven. And Ephesians 4, verse 8 and 9 literally says that not only did he go into the lowest part of the earth, or not only did he go into the earth, but he went to the lowest point of the earth. He descended to the very lowest points of the earth. He descended into utter darkness. And the Bible says that the darkness did not swallow him up. In fact, he proclaimed the gospel. He, he presented his wrist. He presented where the blood was shed on everybody's back. He proclaimed the good news to God. He proclaimed that he is the savior of the world. He proclaimed literally what happened is the light of the world, the light of God went into the darkness and shined the light of God. And the Bible says that when he was through, when there was nowhere else to go, when there was nothing else left to do, when it was finished, when the veil had been torn from two to two, from top to bottom, when he said it was finished, when every sin had been accounted for, when every ounce of your insecurity had been accounted for, when every trauma that you've experienced and will experience has been accounted for, when every ounce of drama that you got going on in your life had been accounted for, when every ounce of rumor and mistake and mishandling of your heart and life and mind had been accounted for, when all else was done, the only, else, the only direction left to go was up. And Sunday came. You know why Sunday came? Because he had already dealt with everything on your behalf. The only direction left to go was up. The only direction left to go was up. Even the Mirror Bible translation, it literally says this. It says that uh, the fact that Jesus ascended confirms his victorious descent into the deepest pit of human despair. Not only did he go into hell, but he went into your deepest and darkest moments. Your deepest, th those moments that nobody else knows about. Those thoughts those cities that your mind lives in, those rent-free commercials that play over in your hand, those rent-free songs, those rent-free thoughts, those rent-free intimidating rumors that live in your head. He went there. He went there and dealt with that. And once he had dealt with it all, only direction left to go was up. Only direction left to go was up. Only direction left to go was up. I don't know what your pit of misery or anxiety looks like. I don't. I know what mine looks like, and it's a scary place at times. I'm pretty sure we all could agree that, you know, in your own pit of misery, it looks pretty dark. And a few weeks ago, when we were talking about fear is not our future, we came from, we were talking about how Daniel, the life of Daniel reflects Jesus. And how literally when Daniel was tossed into the den of lions and how they did not devour him, that was a symbol of what Jesus does in our life. Your life may look like a pit at times. And there are different things that come at you and try to devour you. Try to steal your joy. Try to steal your peace. Try to steal your confidence. But just like Daniel, Jesus is the one that can close the mouths of the lions. He can close the mouths of everything that is trying to devour you. He can close the mouths of your insecurities that sometimes don't shut up. He can close the mouths of the rumors that sometimes don't shut up. He can close the mouth of your worst mistakes. He's the reason that on your worst day, you can't be judged. Let that, let that hit for a minute. 
He is the reason that on your worst day, you cannot be judged for that. Why? Because that's where he went on that Saturday. Somebody say Saturday. After this, Saturday has become my favorite day. I love Sunday. If Sunday didn't happen, we'd still be in our pit of misery. But the fact that on Saturday, he went to my deepest, darkest points of my life and dealt with all that. And he didn't play patty cake. He didn't go like, okay, you know. No, the Bible says that he proclaimed the goodness of God. He proclaimed himself. And when all was said and done, the only direction left to go was up. Somebody say up. He has shut the mouth of every lion that has tried to ever devour you. He has. Because he's that good. Because he's the boss. Because he, he was totally in control. He was totally in control. He's totally in control of your life. Amen. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 through 14, I didn't put it up here, but I'm just going to tell you that Jesus' death is your death. Jesus' death is your death, too. His burial is your burial, too. And because he sunk into the lowest point of human despair, the only direction left for us to go is up. So watch this. So his resurrection is your resurrection. So what are you still doing down in the pit? Why are we still staying in the pit of the different pits that we placed ourselves in or the different areas that life has placed us in? Amen. There's no reason for you to stay in the pit. I remember a few years ago, one of my favorite commercials, there was, there was this one, one drink company and they had this little commercial and it was like a medieval setting. Yeah, you already know. And literally, you know, it, the, it, was the, it was the royal decree to drink of this one particular brand. You know, you had everybody come up to the king and they braid this one drink and he's like, you know, I don't know. He said something like, you know, blessings for you and everybody out in the out in the courtyard, blessings upon him, you know. And then he finally get to this one person that brings like, you know, water or something. He's like, this is all I have, water. To the pit of misery you go. And everybody's like, to the pit of misery. Dilly dilly. And he falls, he falls to his death in the pit of misery. All jokes, <laughs> all jokes aside, but sometimes life puts us in a pit of misery. Well, watch this. If we've risen with him, maybe, maybe life isn't really putting you in a pit of misery. It's just making it look like you're in a pit of misery. Because if you've risen with him, if he's victorious, you are victorious. I, I know it's hard to understand, but literally you are in the winner's circle. Lindsay, you don't feel like I'm in the winner's circle. It don't feel like I, I have the championship belt on. It doesn't feel like all, it doesn't feel like I'm winning then you need to redefine what winning looks like. Because winning isn't, you know, got the best car, got the best job, got this, got that. Winning isn't, winning is not defined by materials. Never has and it never was. Otherwise, your car could have went to the cross. Otherwise, your best friend could have went to the cross. Otherwise, the new house could have went to the cross. Otherwise, your bank account could have went to the cross. Otherwise, your college degrees could have went to the cross. Otherwise, what you did on your best day could have went to the cross. No, nope, wasn't enough. The one that was able to say, Father, forgive him after every pounding blow. He has the right to define what winning looks like. And the Bible says that not only has he defined it, but guess what? He's applied that definition upon your life. Upon your life, amen. Let's stand to our feet if you're able this morning. What Jesus did at the cross, it is a gift. Amen? It is a gift. And listen, we receive that gift 
by putting our trust and confidence. You receive that gift by putting your trust and confidence in, not in you, but in Jesus. The gift that, the gift of salvation, it's, it's, it's received by not putting your trust and confidence in you, but it's, it's received by putting your trust and confidence in Jesus, whether it's your first time or 700,000th time of placing your trust and confidence in Jesus. If you've never placed your trust and confidence in Jesus, like you say my Grandma Rose's church, today is a mighty good day to place your trust and confidence in Jesus. Look at somebody beside you say, today is a mighty good day.